For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome back to the Warehouse Podcast. I'm Tyler. I'm Jesse. And I'm Eli. And this week is our minor league preview special. <laughs> special effects. <laughs> um, we are definitely not experts in the Orioles minor leagues, uh, but we like to talk about them because it's fun. Uh, at least for now, it'll probably not be as fun in a couple of years when the Orioles are good, right? But for now, we. And again, are, are we experts in the major leagues, Tyler? That's I don't know. a good point. You know, that's very debatable. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, I mean, to be totally transparent, if you guys want an Orioles podcast that is really good with the minor leagues, On the Verge is your place to go. Those guys are awesome. They do a great job on Twitter with uh, sharing video highlights and bringing on guests on their show. So, like. They are the the podcast experts on the minor leagues, but it's fun to talk about them. The Orioles have a really good minor league setup right now. It's exciting. The games are affordable. They're usually closer to your communities than it is. You know, it's easier to get to them than sometimes going downtown and all that stuff. So we'll talk about it. Uh, Eli just said he's going to go to the Bowie Bay Sox home opener, which is exciting. In so fact, I will go. be meeting up with Joey Ortiz's parents beforehand. Wow. And getting dinner with them and then going to see the home opener. That's well, yeah. So we should say, because if there's a new listener, they probably don't know. They probably think that's very odd that you're just meeting with Joey Ortiz's parents. <laughs> so why Honestly, would, it's fair. Why would you be doing that, Eli? Uh, well, yeah, I, I will admit, I personally do not know the parents, but Joey Ortiz played on a summer team with me that my parents were involved with the organization so we hosted a bunch of students and joey stayed with us for part of that summer um and i obviously played with them for the whole summer so uh my parents know his parents they're gonna hang out i'm gonna go watch the game and i think i'll get a free dinner out of it so wow yeah that's pretty cool jesse are you're not going jess (laughs) actually I actually don't know. Uh, yeah, I, got, <laughs> I, I gotta figure that out. I actually don't know. So oh, I, 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 I actually think I'm not going to make the game because of you know working and stuff like that. So yeah, yeah. Um, but well, that's yeah. a bummer. But still very have, cool. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell I'm taking advantage. Yeah, I'm gonna tell Eli to you know send them my regards and send them my best. You know, so yeah. Yeah. and Eli, Eli will be secretly recording the dinner, um, and we'll have clips of that <laughs> yeah. Show yeah. next yeah. weekend. We'll yeah. be live streaming on Twitter yeah. actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's very cool, very exciting. This year, the the seasons kind of line up the minors and the majors, whereas normally the majors have been going for a little bit before the minor leagues get underway, but. CBA stuff happened, so that's not the case this year. But, yeah, so let's talk minor league baseball. Um, first, to kind of get everybody up to speed on where the Orioles sit uh, in terms of all the rankings have come out recently, all the different big organizations have, you know, put out where they think the respective organizations sit in the pecking order. The big one that we care about because it's the most positive is MLB Pipeline. <laughs> they rank the Orioles as the top farm system in all of baseball. That has them up from fifth place this time last year, which is huge. 
Uh, Baseball America has them down at fourth, however, on the rise. And they really like, they've really liked Duration Rodriguez, I think, for the longest amount of time out of all the big ranking systems. So that's been cool. Um, and then Keith Law has the Orioles as his 10th best system, which there's a lot of Keith Law haters in the Orioles community. We're aware. Um, they did, he did move them up from 18th last year. Eli, did you want to say something? <laughs> I just wanted to make it very, very clear that we are also part of the Keith Law haters. Hey. Sometimes. Sometimes. I, I don't know. It, it definitely, like, you know, at this time when MLB Pipeline had us at number five last year, he had us at number 18, like mm-hmm. not even in the top half of the league. So I really, like, I, I don't know. I don't it feels disrespectful. The, <laughs> I don't get where the disconnect is. And it's just this, like, he is constantly constantly further down on the Orioles and it's like you know that doesn't that doesn't extend to every other team that he's just like ah I'm just more down on every other team it's no he's always just more down on the Orioles (laughs) and the Orioles prospects and I get tired of it but he also like the athletic is a really wonderful newspaper Um, they do a lot of good stuff so I felt the need to put him in the outline anyways well, and look, like this is all subjective to a degree. Like, yes, there's qual- quantitative data on performance and all that stuff, but then there's the art of it where you have to take that quantitative data and massage it a little bit into projecting these players. And Keith Law is just doing his version of that because it's not an exact science. He does note in his uh, his column or, or his rankings that he basically has the Orioles as high as you could possibly be, be and as good as you could possibly be with a very little Latin American influence, which the Orioles are still working on that. And that is a valid criticism, something we can maybe talk about here in a minute. Um, But he also notes that it's skewed towards position players, which again, we know that. So if you're looking, if your rankings are based on balance and all of that stuff, the Orioles maybe don't have the most balanced, but if you also have like five of the best players in all of the minor leagues, that should, (laughs) that should account heavily as well. So, you know, there's a couple yeah, ways. Ha- having having Adley Rutschman in your system should be worth something. <laughs> Literally, know? that that's my opinion. So, so yeah. to round it all out, Tyler said a bunch of nice political things, but Keith Law's wrong, <laughs> and the Orioles have an elite farm system right now. Right, and I think that's fair. I think they certainly have elite players in there. I like the farm system. It definitely feels a lot different and a lot more positive than it had prior to Elias's influence. So I can't really complain there, but again, what am I comparing it? I'm comparing it to years when the Orioles were good at the major league level and they were constantly trading away interesting prospects. So they were understandably low where, you know, if you look at Keith Law's rankings, just specifically, if you go to the bottom, the teams in the bottom are teams that were good or are good. Usually the White Sox are his 30th ranked team. They're very good right now. And they're bad in the minors because they have all their good players are up now. The athletics are 29th. Like I can't figure that one out, but that's happening. Um, <laughs> then the no, Philly, mm-mm. the Phillies are down there. The nationals are down there. Like these are teams that are, are good. Uh, well, the nationals are bad, but they won a world series a couple of years ago. Like that's just what happens. So I don't know. I'm not going to defend Keith law, you know, to my grave, but just trying to give some understanding for where he's coming from. But I mean, Eli, how are, let's, let's just talk about the system. Then. How are you feeling about the system? You, you don't think they're 10th. So how, how are you feeling? 
Yeah, I, I do not think they're 10th. Um, <laughs> I think that I think that the high-level talent in the Orioles system is as good as you can find anywhere across the major leagues. Um, I think that, you know, some other teams, like the Mariners are up there. Like, you always see the Dodgers. You always see the Rays. They definitely um, are on par with all of the elite farm systems in the major leagues. And I, I think the one knock that I do have – which you alluded to and Keith Law alluded to, whatever, um, is that <laughs> the uh, th- there is a lack of pitching once you get past um, – or a lack of high-level pitching once you get past the D.L. Halls, Bradishes, uh, Rodriguez's, et cetera. I think that, you know, th- this is definitely a result of the Orioles having – drafted almost exclusively position players and you know preferring college position players etc in the last couple drafts um and granted i think that has been wildly successful you look at um i mean you look at the cowsers the norbies the etc etc coming up through the low levels of our minors right now um and then you i mean even you know, Kyle Stowers is about to break into the majors, Jordan Westberg, et cetera, et cetera. You know, there have been really, really good results from drafting college position players. But I think that once you graduate Rodriguez Hall Bradish this year, uh, we'll definitely find ourselves in a situation where we're looking for a continuation of that high level talent on the pitching side. Yeah. That's a valid criticism for sure. Um, I can talk about my thoughts there in a second, but Jesse, what? Are, how are you feeling about the Orioles minor leagues? Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with that. I mean, I think, uh, it, you know, as we can see kind of from, you know, this major league roster construction and, you know, our predictions and whatever, right? I mean, we definitely have a bunch of hopefully serviceable, you know, guys that are ready to pitch in the major leagues even if not immediately but hopefully you know within the next year or two right but these these are not high level prospects right these are not future number twos right um they are future hopefully back end pieces right so we have a i I feel like in our minors we have a bunch of guys that are kind of floating around that could be you know best case scenario probably a four or five but uh, beyond Grayson Rodriguez, right? Um, it, yeah, like Eli's saying, it's it's rather thin. Um, yeah. yeah, and I mean, my thought is just that that definitely seems to be by design. I whatever methods the Orioles have for evaluating prospects, they clearly feel either more confident in their ability to project hitters, or they just feel that hitters in general are are more stable, which is probably I think more uh, projectable more projectable yeah. yeah yeah the data that they have on in college because again they favor college hitters college data translates easier to the pros and the majors than pitching data does so why not double down on that and go we're really good at this let's focus on it and it's you know yielding good results Rutschman has been as good as advertised Gunnar Henderson they found him intriguing and they've made him into a top 100 prospect Colton Kowser looked really solid in his first summer as a professional. And part of that is also, I think that they, they believe that they can potentially wait on pitchers, let them get some professional data and then maybe find them and take them from other organizations and make them a little bit better. That's what they've done with all of the arms they've taken from the angels so far, which is just like 
a little bit humiliating because the Angels have no pitchers. Like that's a whole issue the <laughs> Angels have in the organization. And now the Orioles have, you know, Bradish and Zach Peak and um Zach Burnovich, like they're all turning into viable arms with the Orioles. So I think the Orioles just kind of have a philosophy there. And also people have talked about this with the pitching too, which is frustrating, is that oh, well, there's not enough arms to make a major league rotation in the Orioles minor league system right now. <laughs> what what minor league system has a full future big league rotation in it right now? I would imagine very, <laughs> very few. They're going to have to sign free agents. They're going to have to trade some of these hitters. Some of these good hitters are not going to play for the Orioles. That's just yeah. the reality. Um, so I I totally get the, uh, the criticism, um, but I don't necessarily see it as a weakness more more of a concerted strategy to build a team. It might not work, but at least there is a direction, which I appreciate. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and if, if, if you were to add to the pitching, you would be subtracting the benefits of the position players that we have. So, right. Right. It, it'd be a trade-off sure. if we had emphasized that more. Right. Yeah. I guess the best example of that is right. You cannot have Cedric Mullins, Austin Hayes, Colton Kowser, Kyle Stowers, Robert Newstrom, you know, Heston Kerstad, like any number of pretty, you know, high level outfield prospects and a couple current major leaguers that we have, they can't all fit in one outfield. So we are inevitably going to be trading from the depth that we have. And yeah, it should reiterate, like this is an elite level system with the total talent that we have acquired Um, and how the Orioles sort of deploy that talent and take advantage of that talent is what the ultimate deciding factor will be and how good that major league team is. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, it's, it's a clear strategy. I will say, I think there were reports last year that um, prior to selecting Colton cows or the Orioles had thought about taking Jack lighter. Now Jack lighter ended up going prior to the Orioles picking, but was clearly like the top pitching prospect available in the draft. And there were reports that like the Orioles coveted him and, you know, it's not like they're, they're avoiding pitchers altogether, but the criteria is clearly um, very strict when it comes to selecting those players with the high dollar picks. Um, So, you know, I I think that's fine. I think it's totally fine to go into the draft room and develop your minor league system uh, with a strategy. It's, it's how you build up this pipeline that Elias has talked about um, ad nauseum since becoming the, uh, the boss for the Orioles. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, that's kind of the take on the current current system as it stands. Uh, so now we want to get into, well, let's talk about just the the top prospects here that have changed from last year. Um, and if we have thoughts on any of these guys, certainly feel free to jump in, you guys. But um, according to MLB Pipeline, the Orioles have five top 100 prospects. Uh, Adley Rutschman comes in at number two on their list. He was number one last year. Bobby Witt Jr. has leapfrogged him, and Bobby Witt Jr. is now making the Royals opening day roster. And that has infuriated people on Twitter, but it is what it is. Um, other names, Grayson Rodriguez is sixth. He's the top pitching prospect on their list. Gunnar Henderson, 64, Colton Kowser, 66, and DL Hall, 90. The only player there to drop uh, in their rankings was DL Hall from 72nd down to 90th. Although I will say like places like Fangraphs have him up in like the forties. So there's a lot of variance on DL Hall. Um, but what do you, what do you think about those guys, Eli? Are you satisfied with where they sit in pipelines uh, rankings? Yeah. Yeah. You have to be happy with it. You know, we're tied for the second most players 
of any farm system in these top 100 rankings. Um, there is one team that has six players in it, or maybe two teams, but we've got five players in the top 100. You know, if you think there are 30 teams in the MLB and 100 in these rankings, you should have 3.3, you know, right. on average. So we definitely have more high-level talent than the majority of farm systems out there. Um, the one thing I'll cue in on with Hall, uh, you know, he was 72nd last year, dropped to 90th. I clearly he was hurt and he missed half the season. I do not think that, you know, the 40% strikeout rate is what <laughs> made MLB pipelines sour on him. Clearly when he's healthy, the guy is elite and uh, performs at an extremely high level. So I think that's purely a reflection of the injury concerns with him, which there have always been. And there's still a lot of reason to be high on him, I guess I should say. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Jesse, any, uh, and I'll say Fangraphs has DL Hall as the 28th best prospect in all of baseball. Right. right. Um, so like that is the sort of stuff we're talking about, but they also have him as a very high risk type of player too. And that explains why MLB pipelines a little bit more, uh, I don't know, conservative on him. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I guess I, when I'm looking at the list, I, you know, of course I think Adley and Grayson are both, you know, of course, as close to shore bets as uh, any sort of prospect can be, um, you know, they're both, uh, you know, I mean, the Orioles are relying uh, on them to be able to set them in stone. Right. Um, as far as like Gunnar Henderson, Gunnar Henderson seems more of like a uh, high ceiling uh, guy, but uh, Colton Cowser seems more of like a higher floor type player to me. Um I think I think both Henderson and Hall, um, you know, I think they have a ton of potential, um, but I think Colton Kowser is kind of the safer player among the three, uh, kind of more reliable and um, that we can we can be more sure that, you know, he will be a major league contributor. Um, I think Henderson and Hall are are much more uh, have much more volatility in what their future will look like. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. totally totally valid. Um, some other places, I'll just say Fangraphs has the Orioles with six players in their top 100. They add Kobe Mayo in there as well, who is a player that has gotten a lot of like juice over the last couple months. He's kind of this year's version of Gunnar Henderson, where right. Gunnar Henderson was like jumping up the boards and now it's Kobe Mayo. And um, I feel like we should kind of talk about him for a second. I know we didn't kind of lay that out here, but Kobe Mayo, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> kind of kind of at, like he's a beast he's like six foot what five uh yeah. just a six five two fifteen currently playing third base although places expect him to move to the outfield at some point um Eli any a scouting report on Kobe Mayo yeah I, I guess the short like the short synopsis of him is he just hits the ball I mean he's got a ton of power he's posting really ridiculous exit velocities you know up approaching 110 miles an hour. Um, And, you know, he was supposed to be a bit of a free swinger with some swing and miss in his game. He seemed like he had a really solid approach, you know, as he got into low A last year. Um, I, I think this is one of the more, it's definitely one of the more intriguing prospects in the Orioles system. He's got a ton of pop. And they say they've really been working with his defense. Um, he's got an incredibly strong arm. 
I think they gave it like a 65 grade arm over at third base. So he's clearly got the arm for right field if he does eventually need to move there. But he really looked pretty solid over at third base last year. I think there is nothing to not like about Kobe Mayo. And I would be extremely surprised if at this time next year we're doing this podcast and he's not in the top 100, much less, you Mm -hmm. know, like in the 70s and below. Yeah, Jesse, any thoughts on Kobe Mayo? I know we we don't talk talk about him a ton, but yeah, Mm -hmm. go ahead. No, yeah, I mean, kind of like Eli said, like I'm waiting for him to break into the top 100 too. Um, Yeah, and I I think there's a lot of – I mean, he does kind of make the, um, you know, the outfield kind of, you know, a lot more crowded uh, kind of as we're talking about. Um, But uh, yeah, and he's definitely one of the guys that um, I mean, cows are too, you know, but I think kind of like you were saying before, I think eventually one of these guys is going to get traded and dealt away. So I, you know, I I think that is a possibility for his future. But um, yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. I think that's important to remember about a lot of this is they're going to get dealt where we can't fall in love with all these guys because there's, it's just not realistic. Um, But we'll see. I think this, we won't see those deals happen this year. At least we shouldn't. So, you know, you can dream on these guys for a bit longer. Um, So I think he's definitely the one to watch that a lot of people have tabbed is like, this is the dude. Um, And if he is that level of player, I don't think he'll be one of those guys that goes because if he's going to, he's going to leapfrog a bunch of guys. I, I, you would see some other players get dealt before a guy that you think is going to hold down a corner position with that kind of power and those kind of skills. I mean, I, I wouldn't want to trade him, but it's are, still early. Are, but, well, I'm just curious. Are you bigger on him than Kowser? I mean, it definitely seems like he probably has a higher ceiling, I would say. Well, Kowser, but... they've talked about Kowser playing some center fields, you know, I, it's, it's all in flux right now. That's the thing is we don't have to set anything right now. You can, you can let this year go through. You can see if Cedric Mullins is going to be that legitimate everyday center fielder again this year. And then that changes the math again. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't, not that I like him more than Kowser, but also it's not certain that he is a right fielder or a left fielder yet. Competition with him, Right. Right. Yeah. He's still playing third base. Yeah, I think people are getting more and more confident that he's going to stay at third, too. I mean, I think last year really, really pointed that direction. Right, and then that brings him into this conversation with Henderson and Westberg and Ortiz. Right. Well, maybe not Ortiz as much, but at least Henderson and Westberg. So we'll see. We'll see. Mm-hmm. That's that's the beauty of it. We don't have to um, sort that out just yet. Right. Um, a storyline to follow this year is going to be a couple of players that are returning from injuries last year. And for the Orioles, it's a pretty significant batch of prospects. It includes Heston Kerstad, who we know has had the issue with myocarditis, has not played a professional game yet. Uh, Joey Ortiz is coming back from, I think he had an arm injury last year. Labrum. Labrum, there you go. Uh, D.L. Hall had the the stress reaction, and it sounds like he's good to go. And then Carter Baumler uh, had Tommy John. So those are three or four pretty significant players. Um, Jesse... Do you have any anything there that you're kind of looking for from them as they you don't have to go through every player, but are, right. are, is there anything you're really going to be looking for as they come back from injury to kind of indicate to you like these guys are are back and, and maybe can kind of start restart their uh, development a little bit? 
Yeah, I mean, out of out of the four of them, I would say Ortiz is the one that I'm like least worried about overall. Um, but I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I think, yeah. I mean, as far as Kerstag goes, right? Like, this is kind of a big concern, right? Like, I mean, we need to see him get into games and to like actually. Um, we want him to actually begin his development, right, as a prospect instead of, you know, being behind, um, play, you know, just playing to playing catch up just to get to like a baseline level of like being healthy and being able to play baseball, right? So, I mean, in terms of him, like, um, you know, just having him actually playing and then be able to be learning and advancing and, um, you know, improving. Um, is like really a big deal for him um i mean as far as the other guys like not not in particular um obviously hall just like i mean really for him like just staying healthy obviously you know the the command stuff right is a big thing right but um like for him just being healthy is like you know really important um but yeah, like Ortiz, I think will bounce back fine. And yeah, I think it'll be, yeah. I'm not like overly worried. The only guy I'm really worried about is like Kerstad and like his injury concerns. So. Hey, and he's got the, the hamstring now, which the report there is he's out eight to 12 weeks from when it occurred, which was a couple of weeks ago. So, we, you know, we might not see him till midsummer, which is right. disappointing. But uh, yeah, there's no reason to rush him back at this point. Um Eli, what's your read on the injury situation there on the minors? Yeah, kind of a similar take. I, I wouldn't say I'm necessarily worried about Kerstad. I, I don't want this to come off callous, but, you know, we've gotten more and more outfield prospects in the system. And so at this point, we need Heston Kerstad to be good, like to a lesser degree. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we just don't need him to be as good as good anymore that said you know like at this point i definitely i want him to just get on the field and succeed you know like just for his own sake um i think it'd be a win for the entire organization just to see him healthy and out there it'd be you know a feel-good thing and i'm definitely rooting for him um ortiz you know the injury was to his non-throwing shoulder so i definitely um that gives you a little bit of confidence that he'll be able to bounce back. That said, you know, what the big jump was last year for him is he's always had a good arm. He's always been a great defender, um, but it was strength through his swing and, you know, posting some higher exit velocities was really the jump that he had made. Um, So it will be interesting to see if he can maintain that. Uh, They are going to start him at double a, you know, so they've definitely got some confidence uh, that he'll be able to maintain. Um, Hall is Hall. We've talked about him ad nauseum, you know, but uh, Baumler, I think, is maybe the most interesting one here. You know, the Orioles do not go for high school prospects very often uh, under Michael Elias. Baumler was a two-way player that we liked more as a pitcher, drafted him as a pitcher. Um, And, you know, we've been seeing videos throughout this offseason of him, like, you know, doing some running guns, some like heavy pull downs at 98 miles an hour or so. So he's got a big arm, you know, and they actually talked about him as a more athletic and like pitchability guy than a stuff guy. So it definitely seems like he's been developing himself even during the time of his injury. If we can, you know, 
combine some of that pitchability that he had in high school with the four pitch mix with, you know, this new version of him throwing 98 miles an hour, you know, like really developing the velocity and the strength aspect. Uh, I think he could be a really, really exciting pitching prospect. Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, he's definitely, the Orioles have shown an ability to take players, pitchers in particular, I mean, and add velocity to them, work with them on technique or, or strength, conditioning all that stuff to really give them a couple more ticks on the speedometer which would be huge for him so I do agree there um, I think I'm with Jesse on like the curse sad thing is something I'm really interested to follow because yet yeah, Eli you're right that we don't need him quote-unquote need him as bad now given the the rest of the, the system around him but just to like think of what the difference would be if the Orioles had gone any other direction with that second overall pick a couple weeks ago having a player that had already gotten a season plus under their belt, where would that person be in the rankings? You know, it changes the complexion again, even if it was another outfielder. um, It's just like something there that it's still going to like hang in my brain a little bit. So I just, I think I I agree. Like we need to see him on the field and to see him hit a couple home runs. That was the big thing is he was like the biggest power bat in the draft, at least from the college side of things. Like it just makes you think what if, the Orioles had done literally anything else there with that pick. Um, you know, now they did draft him. They had the savings that they ended up using later in the draft to get Kobe Mayo and to get Carter Baumler. So it all is connected. Um, but yeah, Kerstad is, is something is someone I'm going to be watching closely as soon as he gets on the field. And I'm excited to see him um, get some action, but I am happy that there are others around him that allow the Orioles to kind of slow things down um, just a little bit. Um, I think another thing to kind of pay attention to this year is going to be the starting arrival of some of the Orioles international prospects, um, down on the minor league. They're not going to be up at the big leagues yet. We wouldn't think, but this was one of those things that Mike Elias made a priority was developing, uh, the Orioles set up down in, in the Latin American countries to recruit these players and to get them into the Orioles system, something that they did not do under Dan Duquette. And we are now going to start to see some of those guys come up and play in affiliated ball. That includes Cesar Prito, uh, who the Orioles signed this offseason. He's actually a little bit older. He's 22. But we would expect to see him somewhere down in in the the lower minors. Uh, Samuel Basayo is a catcher who is only 17. He might get up into Delmarva at some point. Uh, Michael Hernandez is another one who is only 18, but he could be up. Uh, just a couple of these names that it's sort of exciting that, you know, not that they're going to come up and, and, you know, blow our doors off and be top 100 prospects, but just the fact that the Orioles are starting to compete and have that other avenue of uh, talent coming into the organization. Um, Eli, what are, what are your thoughts and what are you looking for from the international guys this year? Yeah, I, I guess I'll cue in on Prieto because he's the one that, you know, I think will have the most, I don't know, the most forward-facing impacts. Uh, I think that, you know, he should start this year, maybe even in double A. Um, I think he's currently, sl- yeah, he's currently slated for like low A, and we'll probably start him lower than that. Um, but I think by the end of the year, you know, this is a guy who broke the hits record that Kendris R- Morales had set in the Cuban National League. So, you know, he's got some pretty elite bat-to-ball skills, um, they say he's an average defender at second base, but this is a already pretty advanced prospect. 
And it's somebody who has had professional experience, although it wasn't, you know, obviously in America or in affiliated baseball, but I'm super intrigued to see how high he can rise. Part of me, you know, is fully confident that if he really has the bat to ball skills that everybody talks about, that this is somebody who can go ahead and potentially be in AAA by the end of the year and potentially in Baltimore uh, in 2023. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the Cuban players are always interesting because it's not always super clear what the level of talent they're playing against is, but if it pays off, it's, it's huge. And he plays second base. The Orioles need a second baseman. Uh, that would be awesome. Um, Jesse, what about you? Are you looking for anything in particular from uh, the international players this year? Um, yeah, I mean, these guys, kind of like you were saying, I mean, other than Prieto, uh, I mean, the guys are so far away um, from uh, from like the major league field, right? So, um, I'm yeah, I'm not exactly sure about uh, the the lower the lower half guys but um yeah yeah well and that's i think that's kind of the whole point right is that we haven't seen these guys it would be awesome to see them play for an affiliate that is near us against other prospects we know about and get some data on them just to like actually form an opinion on them that's not entirely based on what other people say about them (laughs) right absolutely for sure (laughs) yeah um uh the next thing i want to talk about is the draft the orioles do have the number one pick in the draft this year. And it seems that they're going to have a pick of uh, some really talented players. Uh, I had linked it and I, I lost it a second ago. Let me get it right here. Uh, yeah. So it sounds like the number one option right now is Drew Jones, who is Andrew Jones' son. He's a high schooler outfielder. Tamar Johnson, another high schooler plays infield though. Elijah Green was the name a couple like a year ago, people were thinking about, again, a high schooler. So, Eli, you had talked before, the Orioles don't typically go for high schoolers, even if they're position players. So going into this draft, which we've still got a couple months here, so things can change, what do you think the strategy for the Orioles uh, needs to be? Like, best, best player available, go try to save some money for later in the draft. What are your thoughts? I, I think I'm of the mind that, you know, now that we have – built a solid foundation of a farm system under us. I think that we're now in a situation where we can go ahead and we can take a shot on a high schooler and Drew Jones, Tamar Johnson and Elijah Green all have insane tools. Um, I think Drew Jones is the most well-rounded of all of them. It's sounding like, and so I say, take a shot. We have the number one pick, go get, you know, the highest potential talent. Um, obviously there's always more risk. A lot of people were talking about the likes of Chase DeLauder, you know, as a, another college outfielder with a big bat, um, Brock Jones with Stanford, you know, these are the kinds of picks that the Orioles would typically go for. Um, and if we stick with, you know, the under slot strategy that we have taken in the past couple of years, I would not be surprised at all to see one of Jones or DeLauder or maybe even Jacob Berry. I guess Jace Young too, although I I think that the Orioles might have some problems with a guy who's like constrained to second base as a defender um, with the number one pick. So we'll see. It's going to be interesting. I I think that the Orioles have built enough talent, like enough 
of a base of talent in the farm system to start to take shots on some high schoolers and, you know, some prep school guys now. So I I'm on team Drew Jones. Okay. He's, he's put his flag in the ground at Drew Jones. Uh, Jesse, how about you? Yeah, I'm going to replicate that. Uh, I mean, (laughs) the thing is like when Andrew Jones, I mean, Andrew Jones, like for people who don't remember was a, uh, you know, potential hall of fame, hall of famer like when he first came into the league right i think he came when he was like 20 or 21 you know like he made his major league debut um so i i get that you know drew jones is not his father right right um but i what i what i will say is that i always kind of benefit or i always i i highly value having you know major league background pedigree right um, and I think that is just so important and so critical. Um, not only that you have, um, the, you know, someone kind of to guide you, um, right? But, it, you know, just everything, when you kind of grow up in that environment and you're around Major League Baseball and that's kind of like the expectation and you have kind of that sort of that path in life kind of carved out for you in a sense, Right. Um, I mean, I definitely think like uh, it makes it makes a big difference. Um, you know, I mean, obviously the the notable one right that we're seeing now is Vladimir Guerrero, who you know we can basically I feel like already kind of pencil him in for the Hall of Fame, right? Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, regardless of that, um, yeah, I mean, I definitely think Drew Jones is like the direction I'd like to see the Orioles go in. Right. I kind of talked in the past, like I wasn't excited. Uh, you know, when the Orioles have the number one pick, I want, you know, the number one prospect, right? I want the top guy. Um, you know, like this is, you know, if ever, like, of course, hopefully fans remember like when the Orioles had Machado, right. You know, right now when we're having Adley Rutschman, you know, like these are just like, so instrumental to an organization. Um, And I think, right. I think the other point that Eli made that is also really important to highlight here is that the Orioles have enough prospects to compete within the next several years, right? Like not this year, of course. Right. But you know, in the next couple of years after that, there should be enough prospects in the, in the pipeline that, you know, we should be good. Right. So I think, now is the time that we're able to kind of take a chance and who knows drew jones might accelerate through the minor leagues right but even if he even if he doesn't come up for four or five years right like that's still okay i think because the orioles do have the depth um you know in the minor leagues positionally and for position players where we can rely on kobe mayo we can rely on Kowser, uh etc where um you know, and we can take a chance or, you know, not even a chance, but we can we can draft a, um, a high school guy and not need them to be in the major leagues in, in a couple of years. Right. So. Yeah. No. Yeah. I totally agree with what you guys are saying. I mean, look, and we, we said this at the top, we're certainly not experts on any of this. We are not scouts or anything. We read scouting reports that others prepare and kind of make decisions based upon that. I think Drew Jones has like the tools. He is definitely like of these guys that they could potentially pick is like the most intriguing skill set for sure. Something about Tamar Johnson makes me feels like a Mike Elias pick though. If you're going to go high schooler, it's this guy that's got the hit tool that, that, that lowers his floor automatically. 
Yeah, he doesn't play the sexiest position at second base, but he's going to be like that guy that you can probably put at the top of the lineup. The, the Tony Gwynn type of bat is sort of what it sounds like. I mean, I would take Tony Gwynn. Now that's that's a that's a, that's a Hall of Famer. So of course, you know, I'm not saying you're really sacrificing there, but he's also seven months younger than Drew Jones, which is not a lot. But 17 versus 18 at the time of the draft, like I think the Orioles have their models that you plug in age, and that is a factor. Where if you're younger and you're still doing the same type of production that an older pit, a prospect is, that's more valuable. I could see, I could like spin myself into thinking that like. Tamar Johnson makes more sense based on decisions that the Orioles have made, but also it's only April. These guys are still going to play summer ball. They're going to put more data down that things can change. You know, when you're 17, your body's changing all the time. You're adding muscle. You're doing all these things. These rankings could change in that time. Um, So I think I'm kind of just at the part where I want the best, the, the best player for sure. And if the Orioles think that is Drew Jones, take Drew Jones. If they think it is Tamar Johnson, take Tamar Johnson. But what's, what seems to be happening is it's all, these top guys are all high schoolers for the most part. And the Orioles are not going to get like that discount that we've talked about in years prior, if they go for best player available. Um, So I don't know. We'll see how that plays out, but I'm with you guys that I would like uh, the best player available, whoever the Orioles think that may be. Um, yeah. So you're not, you're not going to be satisfied with them going under slot this time. Not that I'm not going to be satisfied, but it's just at number one, it is a little disappointing. Right. It, may, it makes sense to five or whatever, because you can, you can at least talk yourself into, Oh, well they wanted that number one guy, but he's gone. So they can't take him. And now they view these guys as really similar. So why not take the guy that is going to take the slightly cheaper deal? You know what right. I mean? Versus when you are number one, you need to get, number one like that is the you have the pick of the litter and you need to make that work um so yeah that's kind of that's kind of where i'm at and we'll we'll approach this topic again i'm sure in a couple months as the draft gets closer and as news comes out um but yeah it's exciting they're getting the first overall pick which is awesome and the orioles farm system is going to get even better um so i think that's those are kind of the big topics the last thing i just kind of we wanted to mention was like some of the players that for right now are listed as starting at the respective levels. However, these are probably going to change. Um, well, we're not going to even list them. Let me, let me start that over again and I'll just edit that. Um, the last thing I think we just wanted to talk about is kind of do like a quick, like run around of which level we're most interested in paying attention to this year. There's intriguing prospects at every level. Um, Eli, you've clearly chosen to go see the Bowie Bay Sox first, but is that the level that uh, the Orioles you're most excited to watch closely this year? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I think there are two that I really cue in on. Um, I, I'll start with Bowie, and I think that double-A infield of Jordan Westberg, Joey Ortiz, and Gunnar Henderson is a, you know, that in itself across the diamond could be you know, the three that pair up with Ryan Mountcastle eventually. Um, it, you know, th- they are all pretty uh, pretty well regarded. Obviously, Joey a, a bit behind the other two. But Westberg and Henderson, Henderson, Henderson broke into the top 100 prospects over the last year. Westberg is somebody who's on every, like, honorable mention list as somebody who's coming up pretty close. He just had a really good showing in spring training. Um, and Ortiz has been on the rise for the last year. Or so I, I think 
just that group as a unit uh, is intriguing, definitely. And then we should be seeing D.L. Hall starting out there as well, is where he's currently listed. Um, that, and then I'll also point out um, a good number of our uh, high, like, college bat prospects uh, finished out. They're currently listed at low A. I could see some of these starting at high A. Uh, but Delmarva currently has like Kobe Mayo, Connor Norby, Colton Kowser, and Kerstad all listed on their roster, along with Cesar Prieto. So I could definitely, definitely see um, that being extremely interesting to watch, that offensive unit being as good as any in the low minors. And I'm excited to see how far all of them rise throughout the course of this year. Yeah, I think that's totally – it's awesome that there's multiple levels of, like, storylines there that you can check out. Um, it's just a very exciting time to follow Orioles minor league baseball. Jesse, uh, what about you? Any level intriguing you in particular? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't have anything really more to say. Um, I, I, I mean, I, I just don't. Like, of course, uh, you know, AAA, uh, you know, obviously has our top-heavy prospects. But like Eli was saying, like the double A, the infield, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's as, it's as, it, basically for the minors, it's as exciting, I think, as it could be, right? So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I said it on our episode where we previewed the major league level, but I think this year at the major league level is going to be about the pitchers, whereas the following next season will be more about the hitters up there. So then for me, this season is going to be more about those infielders that can make the jump next year. So the infield is kind of a mess in the majors right now. And to make sure, or to, to see what Gunnar Henderson, Jordan Westbrook and Joey Ortiz can do this year. Plus, you know, Connor Norby could explode this year and be really good and, and jump up into that group. And Kobe Mayo could do the same thing. So I think I'm going to kind of just follow sort of which way the wind blows on the infield. Um, And I think some weeks that's going to be buoy. I think other weeks that might be high A where I, like you said, Eli, I think Mayo and Norby and and Kowser will probably jump up there really fast if they don't start there. Um, So so I think those are the two levels to really watch. Whereas I think triple A might get a little boring after the (laughs) first few weeks of the season. Cause I think Adley's going to be gone. Grayson's going to be gone. And I think AAA might be a little bit boring, which I'm fine with. I don't want to pay attention to AAA all that closely this year. But even then, you know, we're talking about infielders, like the likes of Ryland Bannon and Taryn Vavra are, you know, they're both at AAA right now. And they're not as, you know, high ceiling prospects as the other ones we talked about. But, you know, it could be interesting to see their progression and see if, I, I mean, I fully expect them to pop into the majors this year They'll as be well. major leaguers, right? Right. Yeah, Vavra, I am, he's one of the ones I'm kind of wanting to keep an eye on because his skill set is very interesting to me. Not right. that of like a starter every day, but like a very valuable piece to have on your roster day in and day out. So Vavra's one I'm, I'm pretty interested in. Definitely. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that was kind of our real quick run through the Orioles minor league system. Uh, this is something we're going to touch on throughout the year just because it remains very important to where the Orioles are as an organization. Um, so we're not going to do anything thorough. Like I said, check out On the Verge for all your like Orioles specific minor league concerns. Um, but, yeah, it's just fun to touch on them every now and then. And uh, Eli will give us some feedback on what the Bowie Bay Sox are looking like this year and how good Joe, Joey Ortiz will be. Absolutely. 
Um, so yeah, my what my one game scouting report. <laughs> That's all it takes. That's it will all it be takes. comprehensive, right? <laughs> I've got a keen eye. That's why you're here. Um, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's all we've got this week uh, for this episode. Uh, we will get back into some sort of week to week game recaps and news following this episode. Um, as we've mentioned before, please subscribe to the podcast on your preferred podcast platform, Spotify, Apple, uh, Google, wherever it is, we should be there. Uh, so share us with your friends. That's how we grow the podcast. And uh, yeah, we just really appreciate you listening. Uh, and you can also follow us on Twitter at the warehouse pod. So check us out there. Um, all right, guys. Well, this was fun. And next episode, we get to talk about some actual baseball that counts. That's pretty exciting, oh, man. <laughs> oh man. It's been a long time. It's been a long it winter, has. but we're, we're here. Um, but all right. Uh, until next time, this has been the warehouse podcast. I'm Tyler. I'm Jesse. And I'm Eli. Thank you for listening.